Welcome to Weekend Ag Matters from the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network. Join us for an in-depth look at Iowa agriculture. Here's your host, Mark Magnuson. Hello and welcome to Weekend Ag Matters on the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network. In today's episode, Riley Smith will visit with Clay Creighton of Agoro Carbon. Dustin Huffman will speak with Iowa Secretary of Agriculture Mike Nag, And Russ Parker provides his faith-based segment. Let's turn our attention now to this week's news headlines. Iowa Attorney General Brenna Byrd filed a motion for summary judgment regarding the Environmental Protection Agency's failure to respond to a request to sell year-round E15 in Midwest states. Iowa and six other states filed an opt-out request that would allow them to sell E15. Growth Energy CEO Emily Score says biofuel leaders have been more than patient. Quote, for over a year past the statutory deadline, they've waited for EPA to follow the law and allow them to make E15 available in their states year-round. She says they've been forced to return to court to compel EPA to do something it was required to have done by July 2022. End quote. According to the U.S. Grains Council's 2023-24 Corn Harvest Quality Report, the 13th such annual survey published globally, the 2023 U.S. corn crop is the largest on record with the lowest percentage of broken corn and foreign material to date. Warm and dry weather conditions in April and May let producers plant ahead of schedule, and despite concerns about continued dryness in June, healthy rainfall returned later in the summer. This allowed the crop to properly mature and resulted in the timely harvest of 386.97 million metric tons, that's 15,234 million bushels of corn. The average aggregate quality of the representative samples tested was better than the grade factor requirements for U.S. number one grade. And the U.S. Grains Council also released its second annual Corn Origins Report, which explores the performance of U.S. corn against corn from other countries in poultry diets. U.S., Argentinian, and Brazilian corn samples were collected from an international feed company in Colombia for use in the study. The study found that birds-fed diets with U.S. corn consume less feed throughout the entire grow-out phase compared to those fed Argentinian or Brazilian corn. The lower feed conversion rates in the poultry fed by U.S. corn translated into significant long-term cost savings. Depending upon the number of poultry produced, the savings could be very large. The study was done to address customer concerns about the fragility of U.S. corn and the breakage occurring during the export process. Quote, we found that U.S. corn, despite its fragility, outperforms other origins in terms of digestible starch, says Kurt Schultz, Senior Director of Global Strategies for the U.S. Grains Council. That's all the time we have for this week's news headlines. Let's turn it over now to Russ Parker for his faith-based segment here on Weekend Ag Matters on the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network. I'll bet you've seen the picture of an image framed on the wall where their two little kids are playing on a footbridge, on their knees, close to the edge, peering down into a raging current of water flowing under the bridge. And over the top of that bridge, hovering in midair, a heavenly-looking figure with wings, watching over those two little ones. And you get a sense that that angel is offering a hedge of protection around the two kids, keeping them from falling into the abyss. I recently read that over 75% of American adults believe that they have a guardian angel, some kind of heavenly being that protects them from harm. And I, for one, certainly grew up with that notion. I remember as a young teenager, we were raking hay for one of the neighbors, and his young daughter was operating the 8N, pulling an old hay rake behind. And I happened to look across the field to observe her progress and noticed a big pile of raked hay balling up under the tractor. And then I saw smoke. And in the ensuing minutes, 
and it seemed like an eternity, I was running across the field, getting her off the tractor and somehow extinguishing the fire, certainly an experience that could have described me as a small g, small a, guarding angel. And we read about these miracle events all the time, don't we? People falling from great heights and surviving. People drifting at sea for long periods of time and miraculously being rescued. The misses instead of the collisions. Are these earth guardian angels at work? Or are they flesh and blood rescuers, prayer warriors, those good-hearted souls who just somehow show up? What made me think of this were some encounters on a much less dramatic level with people placed in my life purposely this week, and especially on a business trip unexpectedly. Without getting into the specific details, on four separate occasions I experienced encounters to prove to me that God is in control, the power of prayer is true, and that there are others willing to stand in the gap as brothers and sisters in Christ. There was never any conversation about denominations, religious politics, or judgment. Just proof of what is really important in this journey of life. To me, in a week full of stress and soul-searching, who would have guessed I'd encounter Christ on a business trip, surrounded by business partners who would have opportunities to share their faith with me? Uplifting and humbling, all in the same thought. I'm reminded of Romans 8.28, All things work together for the good of those who love the Lord and are called according to His purpose. Food for thought, I hope. This is Russ Parker. Have a blessed day. Thanks, Russ. Up next, Riley Smith will visit with Clay Creighton of Agoro Carbon for segment number two of Weekend Ag Matters here on the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network. If you thought soybeans were only used for tofu, think again. From tires and adhesives to next-generation asphalt, soy is used to create over 1,000 industrial products and counting. Thanks to your soy checkoff investment, the sky's the limit for Iowa soybean farmers. Oh, and speaking of skies, did I mention soy is also used in sustainable aviation fuel? The Iowa Soybean Association, powered by the Soy Checkoff, is driven to deliver for Iowa's 40,000 soybean farmers. Learn more at IASoybeans.com. Welcome back to Weekend Ag Matters. Here's Riley Smith. Lots of great conversations happen every year at the National Association of Farm Broadcasters Convention, the trade talk session in Kansas City. Uh, this year, of course, talked with Agoro Carbon's Clay Creighton about uh, just some of the offerings that they have through their carbon market programs and how farmers can take advantage of those uh, kind of additional revenue sources. First off, Clay, uh, let's just talk again a, a, bit, a little bit of a brief overview of your guys' carbon market program and uh, how that benefits the farmers. Yeah, our program, obviously I know I work here, but I do think it's a key difference here in the market that we deal with ranchers and farmers both. So we can do items on real cropland, obviously, tillable acres, but also range and pasture. And I think that's a huge difference here that, um, you know, growers around the nation can do both if they need to. They don't have to pick one or the other. Um, so our program on the real crop side of things, you know, common practices are reduced till, no till, cover crops are adjusting that mixture, nitrogen rate reduction, um, which is mostly around synthetic nitrogen, and um, on the pasture side of things, it would be grazing management, so more rotational grazing, rest period, things of that nature. 
um, seeding a new species into a pasture or fertilizing that pasture with uh, end source and that too. So that's the quick hitters overview, but we do have uh, dual payment options that we can really kind of prescribe to what's going on on the producer's fields. Um, and I always try and say that like, we're, you know, we're personalizing to you. We're not trying to make you fit the program really. We're trying to fit the program to what you have going on. Right, and you know, you know, some of the things that you hear from producers as we get back to it is, and it's something that you guys tout, is that flexibility of the program and being able to kind of conform to what the farmer has and what they're able to do and, and what they want from the carbon market program. And, you know, I think a lot of things, uh, when you talk about tillage in, in particular, a lot of them might be hesitant to go straight to no-till and, and get that going. And I can speak from my family's operation. You know, we have some of those fields that really do need to be loosened up just a little bit. So having, like you mentioned, that reduced tillage option, you're still getting the benefit of having less tillage, but in those situations where you might need it, uh, you can still use it to, you know, to still be able to run your farm, basically. So just talk to us a little bit about that flexibility and just how exactly, you know, it doesn't pin farmers down. It encourages them to be able to take advantage of what they can do. Absolutely. And you kind of spoke a little bit to that already with the reduced till option. Uh, your typical row crop farmer, that, that's where I'll start. Like, okay, what are you doing for tillage right now? Is there anything, any way we could reduce a pass or reduce depth disturbance? But we do have that flexibility within the reduced till to do, still do some spot checking, so to speak. Like, do I have some compaction in the headlands? You know, do I need to fix a few low-lying spots here? Like, we have that because we know some soil types, you know, you have to break it up like that, too, especially in Iowa like that. I'm in north-central Iowa, flat black dirt like that. It holds that water that water in there really tight, to say the least. But uh, having that flexibility and being understanding of that is huge. And I always put position tillage kind of as a stair-step approach because going from full conventional to no-till, you know, isn't really the way we, we need to go about things, honestly, like that too. So I like to work either, you know, reduce that pass, reduce that depth, or hey, are you going to vertical till, or are you going to strip till, you know, more stair-stepping. Um, so a lot of it's, I would say, educational first. Like, what are you working with? How can we, you know, dip our toe in the water, so to speak, rather than jump off the high dive type deal? So that's how I really try and position it with growers. And I think a lot of these first calls I do with growers, it's mostly fact-finding and, and informative. Like. Here's our program. What are you doing? Just a Q&A session, essentially. And that flexibility as well doesn't just extend to like the programs and how you guys offer it, but it's like those contract situations as well. And, and just having that flexibility to where you're not locked down into doing a certain thing because we know that farming situations can change and they can change fast. Uh, so just talk to us a little bit on, on that situation of just the, the partnership deals that you have for farmers and, and how it really can conform to what they're able to do. Yeah, exactly. So with our contract we have two different payment options and that's where i kind of say we can personalize the plan to the grower too because we can do leased acres we can do rented acres and deeded bull um but um our payment options can kind of speak to that like um we have an option a format where it's more outcome based you know there's a higher tonnage possibility a higher price we're trading that on but um there's added flexibility that's why i like to push for the rented acres on that piece because um it's a little bit more fluid with okay can we um, amend that contract like you know I lost that 80 or hey I gained this 40 over here things of that nature and then option B there's more prepayments on that so a lot of times growers will want to do that on their deed land because they know hey it's going to stay I've got it in the program that uh, too so we can get some prepayment options to help if you wanted to do cover crops or something of that nature so being able to do that and really figure out what's going on their operation and personalizing the contract a little bit more to the growers needs is I think a huge benefit of our program. 
And I think farmers think a lot as well about uh, the, the profitability side of it. Now, obviously, through that contract, they're getting payments from Agoro, but you know that profitability doesn't just stop there with just literally getting payments for it because these practices themselves, research shows that they increase efficiency and, and, and you know profitability on the farm. So it's you're not just getting the payments from it, you're also just getting better operational uh, you know, kind of margins as well. Yeah, absolutely, and that's one thing I, I do get from Gura sometimes is uh, and I tell them, like, well, we didn't just pull these practices out of a hat. Like, they're, they're proven, they're scientifically proven to help soil health help, and help profitability. I mean, you know, you can do a, a 10 mix cover crop mix that has all these different benefits to really what you're looking for if you want to, and reduce till, obviously, that's, that's less trips across the field. That's helping to conserve that topsoil and things of that nature. So there's all these extra additional added benefits, and... I mean, with cover crops too. Some people think cover crops, you know, they think it's a, it's a curse word type thing. And I'm like, no, it, I'm like, we can work it. You know, we don't have to start on the whole farm type thing. If you're interested, let's try that 40 over here and let's start with a ryegrass or, hey, what are you looking for? Are you looking for nitrogen credit? Should we do like a hairy vetch? Things of that nature. So um, there's all these added benefits to that and that increase the profitability and lessens the input costs. And it doesn't just have to be that farmers need to change their uh, plans to be able to fit in with uh, Goro's program because you guys are, are big on, you know, kind of fostering in those producers who have been using these practices as well. And, you know, you speak to cover crops and you guys have been, you know, expanding that lineup as well just to make sure more farmers can get into it because we're not trying to go out here and ask everybody to change their operation. You know, it's like if your operation already fits this and you can get some extra revenue, you know, that's a, another win-win situation, right? Yep, absolutely. And you kind of alluded to it there, like um, most recently our cover crop, uh, we added the practice where if you add a lagoon species to your cover crop, um, then you qualify too. So that helps, we call them legacy growers, folks that have been doing these for a long time, doing the right thing, but it gets another avenue to get these folks in at that point too. So, and we do have a one-year look-back period regardless for if you've done that practice recently like that, you still have a qualifying period there. And um, so we really try and work with the producer because we know like I, I've said this before too but like agriculture is anything but linear like that every year is a little bit different you know we have these extra weather you know if we're in a drought we have a wildfire if we have a like another derecho god forbid um, things of that nature like um, we're receptive to that understand that okay obviously I couldn't put a cover crop out you know we had a wildfire we had a drought things of that it's not going to seed we froze early and we can indicate that with our data collection piece in that way the grower is taken care of at that point. There's no penalty to that. It's, it's documented and we can move forward. Lots of great information today, Clay. Uh, and, you know, just kind of thinking along that side of the educational part, uh, you know, where would producers be able to go to find more information? Who should they talk to to really, uh, you know, kind of learn more and get invested in that? Yeah, our website's wonderful. It's agorocarbonalliance.com. There is a carbon calculator on there for growers to even start to uh, work with it themselves a little bit. And you can put in your county and some minimal information. Hey, I'm interested in reduced till on 300 acres in Dubuque County. Like that, you could see that would spit out potentially for a gener for a carbon credit. And with that, um, we also have the Ag Knowledge Hub on there. There's tons of articles, interviews, podcasts, things that uh, folks like me at Agoro and others have put together to help educate and things of that nature. So. I would urge them to go to our website, look at that, um, and ask to speak to a representative, and you can click talk to your rep, and a folk like me will be reaching out to you. All right, Clay, lots of great information today. Thanks for taking the time to visit, and I'm sure we'll be chatting again soon. Absolutely. Thanks, Riley. That again was Clay Creighton of Agoro Carbon. And that's it for segment two of this week's show. When we come back, Dustin talks with Iowa Ag Secretary Mike Nag. This is Weekend Ag Matters. Hi, my name is Ethan Smith, and I've been a certified crop advisor in Iowa for about six years. 
The Iowa CCA program is valuable to me because it helps keep me informed on new topics and research around the industry, including soils, insects, diseases, and much more. It's also a great way to network with others around the state and beyond. Iowa is known for its crops, and that's why we're here. To learn more about becoming a certified crop advisor, visit iowacca.org. Welcome back to Weekend Ag Matters. Here's your host, Dustin Hoffman. All right, we are here on the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network for our monthly chat with Iowa Ag Secretary Mike Nag. Secretary, thanks so much for taking a few minutes to talk with us here today. Absolutely. Always great to catch up. So we had a lot of things to talk about today, and I figure being it's the last day of November, can't believe we're turning the page to December now tomorrow. Tomorrow is an important day. It's uh, opening up some sign-up periods. Uh, you want to tell us what's going on, what it's all about? Uh, absolutely. And, and uh, yeah, it is hard to believe that, that we just now we're through Thanksgiving. Uh, I hope you get your shopping done for Christmas or you're well on your way because the, the, the days are ticking away. But no, December 1st, actually, we open a, uh, the, the window for folks to apply for our uh, cover crop uh, crop insurance discount program. And, and we launched this a couple of years ago and it's, it was intended really it's an innovative kind of approach to this, which is normal cost share would be you, you apply you wait for approval, you do the practice, and then you submit for reimbursement. That's fine. It works well. Uh, but we thought, well, let's try something a little different. Let's get on more acres. Let's give folks a, a just an easier option. And so that's this crop insurance discount program. So what you do is you plant cover crops, and uh, then you tell us after the fact, and then we apply a $5 uh, per acre reduction in your crop insurance premium for, for next year. And it's pretty streamlined. You, you do have some issues, but you can't layer some of these programs together. Uh, but we do take the cap off and allow you to, to, to uh, submit for, for uh, the, the discount on all of your acres. And so it's, uh, it's been a really innovative approach. Uh, we've got a couple of other states now uh, who have modeled programs after ours, Indiana and Illinois, Wisconsin's trying it, and the federal government, actually USDA, uh, did something very similar here over the last couple of years. So we're really proud of it. And it's been very popular. You can go to cleanwateriowa.org and you can sign up starting December 1st. Now, you know, people might go, okay, $5 off my premium per acre. But when you put all those acres together, that really adds up and can be a pretty good incentive, can't it? It, it can. And, and most of the cost share programs, uh, you know, whether the Department of Ag here, Iowa Department of Ag or USDA, they have limits on, you know, caps on the number of acres that you can enroll in a program. And this one has no cap. And so that's the other upside is you might be able to enroll some acres in one program and get this program on the rest of your acres. But again, I think what we hear from folks is, gosh, it's really pretty easy to sign up. You go to the website, you put some information in, and uh, it's pretty straightforward. So it took some work on the back end. I'm really proud of our team. Again, nothing like this had been done before. And so we had to work with Risk Management Agency and Farm Service Agency and NRCS and us. And, you know, it's an alphabet soup of agencies, but uh, it, it came to uh, fruition and really has been a nice, a nice program. We're really proud of it. And again, trying to prove it as a model uh, that perhaps could be a future farm bill program. Well, definitely would be an interesting thing to see. And, you know, again, that also helps, uh, you know, we've talked about that 4 million acre goal and our, that benchmark and now yeah. trying to increase those acres. That's definitely 
you're seeing more and more farmers sign up for that program. I'm sure. I'm sure uh, we, we we are. And and the other thing too that I'm always looking to deputize people to talk about conservation. And in this case, we've got crop insurance agents now uh, that have been deputized, so to speak, to uh, to talk about it. And th- at this stage of the game, as we approach four million acres, which really is a, a a wonderful accomplishment, we've got more work to do. Right? I mean that we're not done by any means. We're accelerating the adoption. But if we're going to do that, we've just got to reach more people. And then once people have a, uh, I always say start small, right? You don't have to put a whole your whole farm uh, or, or all of your farms under cover crops, but start and then have some experience with it. And that's exactly what we see is that people will start small and then expand. And so we need more people, but then we need those people increasingly uh, putting cover crops on more and more acres. And, and again, let's remember, these don't work everywhere in every situation, but where they do, we really should be focused on it. All right. Now, shifting gears a little bit, uh, you recently got to go across the pond over to UK and uh, talk with the folks there. We know that obviously with the whole Brexit situation out of the EU, getting trade deals with that country by itself has become very, very important. And agriculture sometimes has been a sticking point. You know, what kind of what kind of a trip did you have over there? And what kind of response did you hear from those folks you talked to? Yeah, very, really interesting trip. I was um, I was happy to be able to go. I traveled with some colleagues from, uh, let me see, Arizona, uh, Indiana, Tennessee, Massachusetts, and Connecticut. And uh, we were, we visited and were guests of the British uh, uh, government and they had organized this uh, trip for us. We got on some farms. We visited uh, kind of their equivalent of, uh, of Plum Island, uh, you know, in terms of the animal health side of things. We met with some startup companies and then we had a chance to visit with ag leadership, both farm organization, but also uh, with the government as well. In fact, we'd had UK farming minister Mark Spencer had been in Iowa just just a couple of weeks prior to me traveling. He was in for World Food Prize. We had a chance to do kind of a similar visit for him in Iowa. It was really nice to bookend that experience with Minister Spencer to be able to visit with him then in London, uh, you know, just just a couple weeks later. So there are opportunities here. Big picture is we ought to be thinking about diversifying our trade portfolio, right? We we don't want to over-rely on any one market or country. We can see in the past how that can be problematic. And so we should always be thinking about expanding our trade uh, portfolio, especially with uh, close allies. We should be doing more business with our friends. Now, this is not a huge commodity market for us. There are some soybeans that go. There's some certainly ethanol, and we think there's an upside for ethanol. Uh, equipment, chemicals, those are already things that we are uh, sending to the UK. I'm probably the most interested in some of the ag tech opportunities, as in you've got startups in the UK, might have some really good ideas, but they don't have agriculture at scale. And we could potentially bring that kind of technology here and have folks uh, put a footprint down in the state of Iowa and access US agriculture. So from an economic development standpoint, a lot of promise. But you mentioned something I think is maybe among the most important things that could come of a free trade agreement. And that is that as the UK exits the European Union, right? Brexit, they've they've left, they're now reestablishing their own regulatory programs and really trying to, I see them trying to chart a course that is not the European approach, not what we're seeing the Netherlands do, declaring war on production agriculture, but trying to turn and look at both sustainability and productivity. And there's a golden opportunity for us to get engaged in that now in the in terms of a free trade agreement. 
you know, when you think about agriculture in Great Britain, it's usually not something we, we talk about a whole lot. I mean, what kind of things did you see over there while you were visiting? Well, my, my goodness, it's a beautiful, beautiful country. Um, and, uh, you know, lots of grazing, lots of grass, uh, you know, so uh, certainly the lamb industry there, there's beef, um, but, you know, small grains, barley, uh, uh, canola, uh, wheat, you know, those types of things. Uh, and, and yet, you know, you've got a, uh, so it's a productive agriculture, but it's not something that's done at scale. And so I think they would benefit from connecting with um, opportunities to bring uh, a more diverse food supply into the country. Uh, but also they want, and they're interested in looking at how do they send some of their high value high quality products, uh, you know, out uh, from the UK. So there's, there's opportunity there, but there's no doubt we have very different scale in our agriculture, but for us, that presents some opportunities. Now you did make mention about how they're trying to diverge a little bit. Like you said, Netherlands almost declaring open war on production and agriculture, whereas they're trying to find that balance. We know that some of the practices, maybe some of the technologies has been a sticking point on some of our, our trade discussions with them. I mean, is that, uh, something that's easing a little bit, you think? Or I mean, did you have discussions on some of that technology aspect, especially when you're talking about like GMO or yeah. glyphosate or things like that? Oh, we certainly did. I mean, that's that's one of the key reasons that we would be interested is to say, well, what can we do? And, and frankly, let's let's go to the base level, which is we what we really should have is science-based regulatory approaches, right? That's what we want to have as we have in the United States largely. And uh, we would we would encourage our trading partners to see see things similarly. And so sometimes it's a matter of just opening, pulling back the curtain a little bit on, well, this is how we I think there's some perceptions about U.S. agriculture and things that we do that just aren't accurate. And so, again, having a trade agreement or trade negotiations, bringing uh, regulators together, bringing farmers together, industries together. I think helps to ease those things. So I see there, well, let's put it this way. There's a golden opportunity for that. I think there is a window that is open. They're looking at uh, finally allowing some precision breeding, they call it, uh, but would be biotechnology. It's wise to do that. And I think that's probably the, the one of the uh, most obvious uh, steps that they've taken is that that's, that's an indicator that, uh, that they may be looking to go a different direction. But that's why you've got to get in the room and negotiate. Those things won't be easy, but uh, better to do that than to say, well, we're just not going to participate. And then they turn back to the EU style of regulation. So I think that's, uh, that's, that's really what's uh, one of the things that's at stake here. And that's going to be it for Weekend Ag Matters here on the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network. You can find all our content online at iowaagnet.com. Don't forget to sign up for the e-newsletter. Find some of our podcasts, including Pods of Potential and our market podcasts and, of course, full versions of the Weekend Ag Matters program. For Riley Smith, Mark Magnuson, and Russ Parker, I'm Dustin Huffman. We thank you for listening. We'll see you next week here on Weekend Ag Matters.